Hi, everyone. Uh, for today's episode, I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Merle Jensen. He is Professor Emeritus of the University of Arizona, founder of the Controlled Environment Ag Center, and I would say consultant to the CEA stars. He has been all over the world, starting his education in Cal Poly, on to Cornell and Rutgers. He was actually the project manager for the land project at Epcot Center. If you've seen their whole hydroponic system at Walt Disney World, then you have seen Merle at work. He has been to Dubai and the Netherlands and you name it. He has been to a country to help them solve issues related to growing crops in usually pretty challenging environments and challenging soils using controlled environment agriculture, especially greenhouses. I am so excited to have had the pleasure to sit down with him for 15 minutes while at the U of A's uh, short course this year. So uh, sit back and enjoy as we talk about the past, present, and future of controlled environment agriculture. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Doctor Is In. I'm your host, Dr. Nadia Saba. I am here with Dr. Merle Jensen at the University of Arizona at the Controlled Environment Agriculture Center's annual short course. I am super excited to be sitting here with one of the fathers of the Controlled Environment Agriculture industry. He's been doing this for, I think, about 60 years, and I don't think we would have this center without him. Um, it was formed, what, in 2000, I think, 22 years ago. And I was lucky enough to be one of the first students, or at least one of the early students coming through this program. Merle, thank you so much for, for talking to me today. Well, you're welcome. Um, so tell me how you got started in controlled environment agriculture and how you've seen this industry evolve over the last 60 years. Well, I had grown up in Washington State on a dairy strawberry farm, and, and uh, at the last minute I decided I should go to college. I wasn't a good student in, in high school because I had a lot of fun. But anyway, uh, I, I did go to college, to Washington State University, and then I went to a very good school that really turned me on, and it was a school called Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California. Uh, we did really well. There were two others I, I was friends with. We had really good grades, so we decided to go for the gusto. We went to Cornell University together. Oh. And it was at Cornell that I had a professor said, said, uh, be here Saturday morning. We're going to put uh, plastic on the greenhouse, and we're going to make up some Cornell peat light mix. And so that's how I learned. I had great professors. They were very demanding. And, uh, after I, and I did so well at Cornell that Rutgers University hired me to come out and I was both on faculty and a student where I did my graduate work and I introduced uh, soilless culture to New Jersey which is probably one of the first in the country if not the world and the reason is mm -hmm. that we didn't have plastics when I started at Cornell plastic had been on the market for two years and so when plastics came we had containers made of poly we had polyfilm on on the roof, we had film to put on the floor, white plastic to give us a nice clean operation. So I was there at the beginning. And so with that, with good professors, we introduced hydroponics to the world, even before Holland. <laughs> That's key. <laughs> what did Holland think of uh, Rutgers coming up with this well, newfangled technology? Well, uh, by that time, when I left Rutgers, I came to the University of Arizona and we started doing a deep flow system where we had lettuce growing. 
And the Dutch literally came over to see what we were doing and were really amazed. But at the same time, we had a project in the country of Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, and I would stop at seed companies in Holland there, and I visited with seed companies to get the latest varieties, of varieties that would grow under very high temperatures. And I got to know the Dutch really well, so they looked out for me, looked out for the University of Arizona. So we got the new uh, introductions and new cultivars that came in that were heat tolerant and so forth, and we made use of it. And, and I think we changed the world in hydroponics, growing vegetables hydroponically. Wow. So what year was that that you came to the University of Arizona? I came in 1968. And okay. uh, when I was a, a doctorate student, I was getting a lot of publicity in an American Vegetable Grower, different magazines, and they had heard about me here at the University of Arizona. They had a large grant in Puerto Penasco, Mexico, to build greenhouses, to desalt water, and they wanted to find someone that could grow a plant in pure sand. And so they started uh, introducing me uh, to University of Arizona, and they enticed me enough with good pay that I came here, and since then I worked in 75 countries. Wow, wow. I mean... Some of the things you've already mentioned, it sounds like we're still trying to solve this similar issues. I mean, you, you mentioned desalination or desalting water. You talked about trying to grow in sand, even like vegetable production. How have you seen this industry evolve since your time at Cal Poly and Cornell and Rutgers and and where we are today? What are some of the biggest improvements, some of the biggest advancements that we've had well, the big advancements is that we understand a lot more about plants and mm. uh, how they work. And the thing is that we we can control the respiration, the transpiration, the photosynthesis. We know what to do about it. And with that, we get yields that we never had before. Mm. And so when we started, if we could you know, get so much tomatoes per, per, per square meter, I mean, if we could get 20 or 30 pounds per square meter from tomatoes in one year, that was pretty good. We're up to 100 pounds now wow. with these systems because we, the seed companies have come along and given us better varieties. And then we know, and I heard at this meeting here, they're expecting that in the next few years, half of the lettuce will be grown in greenhouses under controlled environments. Wow. Now we got vertical farms, and I think it's like everything new. They're, they're discovering what to do and what not to do, and economics will fit soon in those kind of systems, but we gotta automate, we gotta automate. Thank you for saying that. I was gonna ask you, what are some of the lessons learned from greenhouse vegetable production that vertical farmers could apply to their indoor vegetable production? Well, we what they could learn a lot is things called photosynthesis. What what amount of light do you need? Respiration, how that that is uh, through photosynthesis, photosynthesis. So a lot just on the plant physiology and how you, the biggest thing in vertical farms is economics. Mm. And so you gotta take the heat off the seating, bring it back down, you gotta move the air, you gotta pay for the lighting systems. And they will say, well, with LEDs, you don't get enough, you don't get much heat. Well, if you get the right moles of light, 18, 20 moles of light to grow even lettuce, you're gonna have heat from those LEDs. Mm -hmm. So you gotta air condition. So there's a lot of cost involved, and we got companies that uh, are making great uh, making great progress, like Plenty, for example. I worked with them quite a few years, and uh, we're seeing in the inner city uh, not only the growing but packaging and post-harvest physiology, how we take care of that product. And uh, I think in the future, well, you know, 
Salads are good for people. Yeah, for sure. We're not rabbits, but they're good for people. <laughs> it's good for nourishing our, our bodies and, and maybe even our, our taste buds by eating something that's not just corn and wheat and calories, right? Right. Was there, you know, when early in the greenhouse industry, was there also this pushback or the naysayers about the economics of growing in a controlled environment that we're seeing now also with vertical farming? Well, the first hydroponic systems was a, was a company out of Phoenix, Arizona, and the economics just weren't there. And the university had asked me that I couldn't work with them anymore because a lot of people were going bankrupt at that time. And it was mm -hmm. a systems where you, you flood trays, plants are growing in rock material, and you flood the trays and it drains. And so we didn't understand a lot about fungal diseases like Pythium and some of those diseases, but we learned from those failures. And I think that's what we do at a university. We can research those ideas and uh, with the right education and, and maybe a green thumb will help. We were able to work out those difficulties and today it's worldwide. What inspired you to have this brainchild? I, I believe it was your brainchild to have the Controlled Environment Agriculture Center here at the University of Arizona. Well, you know, I, I could see where we were going and I could see that the public would be interested in it. Why did I know? Because the Walt Disney Company had asked me to design the land pavilion, which I did. And I remember through the land pavilion, we could show people how food grows under controlled environment. And I remember my colleagues said that would never work. Guess what? We've had 23 million people through the land pavilion and I'm going to brag a little bit. When, when Architectural Digest out of London, England wrote about Epcot, they said the person that made Epcot work was the Jensen effect on growing vegetables on the controlled environment. And I know we hit a home run. Wow, that's amazing. When it comes to automation, I don't even know. It was a short course many years ago. I don't know which one. And you were talking about automation and how important it is to have as few touches and steps with labor. Like you want to limit the number of steps that a person takes to transplant a plant or prune a plant or harvest a plant. And this idea of bringing plants to people rather than people to plants. And, and that has stuck in my head for all these years um, as just such wisdom. And that's something that I even tell my clients. I don't do a lot with automation, except for, of course, HVAC systems are automated. Um, but tell me a little bit about that. Like, where do you see the, the biggest improvements, where the, where the biggest improvements are needed with automation? Well, automation is good because you can eliminate a lot of food handling by people and mm. safer that way. But uh, with machine vision, uh, you know, we, we, we can now photograph and make a machine work accordingly. And so we just have so many other such good engineering coming in where we can completely plant the seed, have it grow. And, well, you know, I always tell people we plant our potatoes on a hillside. We just pull the stake out and it rolls down into the basket. But anyway, no, we 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 automate it and, and we can have precision with that. We know the moles of light. We know we know the mineral nutrition. We know the varieties and pull everything. We just plug all that in and um, 
at the end, we just put that lettuce into a package. That's amazing. So what's the future of this industry look like? Are we going to still have, are we going to have more and more acres and hectares of greenhouses? Is everything going to go indoors in a vertical farm? Is it going to be a mix of all of the above? Well, I think we're going to have more vertical farms and farming uh, because, you know, our best land is being taken up by roads and housing. Mm. And we're losing a lot of arable land and going to to the land that uh, is more difficult to grow on. So, and, and you know, anytime you have to haul food long distances, it takes a lot of, a lot of energy to do that. And so we, to conserve energy, we're going to learn how to take that energy through conservation and apply that in a local way that we can do this economically. So it's going to take a, a lot of vision, understand the problems that we have and the challenges, but the opportunities. And uh, that's our goal here. And I, I felt that uh, when I went to see the governor of Arizona that time, I said, you know, we've got to have developed the technology here in the United States. We can't keep bringing Europeans over. They're welcome, but the thing is we got to work with our students. And so the center was created by that. It's a matter of your administration to understand what we're doing, how we are feeding the world. And that's another another challenge for us at the University of Arizona, but we're getting there. I mean, as someone who is successfully able to, I guess, for lack of a better word, convince the government and local legislators about the value of this industry, about the value of educating and training and researching within controlled environment agriculture. What is some advice you could give to someone like me um, or other universities um, or, or folks who are in this industry to get that same recognition from our government, from regulators and legislators to make this a viable industry that's that's respected and, and, and given the same opportunities as, as other industries? Well, you've got to somehow introduce the technology to the people that govern the funding. Mm. Okay, now how do you do that? It's pretty simple. The other day I bought 30 pounds to the president of the university and we're in. Yeah. He said, thank you for those great tomatoes. And I don't think he knew what we were doing, but we gave him the product and he saw that. And I said, look at that product, know the taste. We are learning more. We're learning a lot how we can get a better product tasting wise. And uh, we have a real champion now, just simple, introduce it to first of all, bringing some of our product to him and him seeing that. Uh, I think we have someone that's going to keep this place alive. Yeah. That's really great. I mean, that's something I miss about being here is working in the greenhouses, having all these tomatoes and lettuce plants. I mean, those tomatoes that you and Johan were growing when you were testing with EC, oh my God. And they would burst because they were so full of sugar. They were so delicious. They were like candy. And bringing them to our friends and family, I mean, there's no better promotion than we grew this in our greenhouse and doesn't it taste so good? And the reaction we so frequently got was, I haven't tasted a tomato this good since my grandma's garden. Right. You know, people getting to there and enjoying the, the, the time of camaraderie to sit around the meal, there's a lot to that. And there are courses now in university teaching that kind of psychological effect that you have by being together, enjoying good food together, and maybe having a good glass of wine. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Well, Merle, thank you so much for your time today. It was so nice yeah. to talk to you and yeah, catch my, up with you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, welcome back. Thanks. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Yeah. Good.
yeah it's interesting to see where all this goes